The book of 1 John, not the gospel of John, but the book of 1 John. Thank you, Josh. And we're going to be looking at that for the next three months. We're going to be taking a deep dive. And I want to start uh, from who actually John is, why he wrote these books, and what they're all about. And 1 John is the first, if you like, letter of John, written by the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John. So we had the Gospel of John, we have 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and we also have the Book of Revelation at the end, written by this prolific author, uh, someone who had a lot to say about Jesus. And it's really important for us as we take this deep dive into this letter that we understand the context. And I want to explain to you why it's actually important that we understand the context. So let me picture, let me paint a scene for you. You're um, at home and your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your mum, your dad, someone takes a phone call and you are listening to their conversation. And you can only hear their voice. And they start saying things like, yeah, look, that person, I agree, that person's a real jerk. <laughs> and suddenly you're actually listening. Suddenly all you are listening now too. What? And you're thinking, who is that person talking about? They can't be talking about me because I'm right here. And you try to listen to the conversation. You think, what's, what's going on here? And then they start talking about some plans they have. Yeah, look, we should do that. And you're thinking to yourself, well, what do you mean? We should do, we should do what? And you're listening in to just half the conversation. You're only getting your side because you can't hear the other voice on the phone. But you know them a bit and you start to work out the context. You work out they're not talking about you. You're not the jerk at all. It's someone else. And I agree, they are a bit of a jerk. And you, and you start to understand a bit more about what's happening because you understand and you start to realise who it is that they're talking to. When you pick up the scriptures, particularly when you pick up some of the letters, in some way, we're only getting half the conversation. Why? Because we, we read what the author is writing, but we don't know who he was writing to. And we don't know all the background around why he said this and why he said that. We surmise. So I want to make something really clear, because the last thing I want you to do is to think, I can't come to the Bible and read it and get something out of it because I don't know all this knowledge, I don't have all this context. That is simply not true. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the revelation of creation. You can see how beautiful the world is. You can come to the scriptures and you can become a believer. You can put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. And we know stories about that, don't we? People that find a Bible in a hotel and read about Jesus and discover who Jesus is and who was, understand some of the things around humanity, and they become a believer and they start this journey. So it's a question of journey and it's a question of depth. And the next little while, next couple of months, we're going to look into a little bit of the context around why this book was written. We're going to understand a little bit more about the people that it was written to. We're going to understand who it was that wrote this book. And that is going to increase your depth of knowledge and your heart, hopefully your love for Jesus, and hopefully what it is that makes you you and what you should be doing with your life. But context is actually important in this story. And so who wrote it? Well, John the Apostle wrote it. And there's a piece of scripture in, uh, in... People have, to be honest, you can go do your own research, and people do argue about who wrote it, but I'm coming from the preposition that John the Apostle wrote it, and I think there are very good reasons for that. 
So come with me on that journey. But we know a little bit about John the Apostle, don't we? We know that he was the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, that Jesus loved. He was his best mate. We know that there were circles of relationship and community within the whole gospel story. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you will discover that there was 72 people that Jesus sent out. So there's a big crowd of people that are following him. We know there were thousands of people that followed him, that he did miracles and, and bread and fish, the 5,000, all that. So we know he had lots of circles of influence, but it also worked in circles as well. So you had this big crowd. You had the 72 that were sent out. You had the 12 that were chosen. Even within the 12, you had the three, Peter, James, and John. James being the, James being the brother of John and Peter. James, John's brother, being quite a fiery character. He was an early leader in the church and he wrote the book of James. Well, we know about Peter the fisherman. We know this stuff that he got up to. We know that he was a gregarious, sanguine personality that just brought stuff out and asked the questions that people were thinking but never asked. Then we have John. Peter, James and John are there at the transfiguration. They got to see something the other disciples didn't get to see. But John, he was the closest. And it's interesting and actually okay to say it's okay to have really good friends. It's okay to have circles of friends. Even as a pastor, as a leader, I have people that are really close to me and people that are close and people that are friends. We all have that. You have that. Jesus is allowed to have that. He was fair and good to everyone, but John was his best mate, his best friend, dear friend. And he shared a lot of things with John that perhaps the other disciples didn't get privy of. There was the highest degree of trust. There's a moment in Jesus and Peter and John's life where Jesus said, if I want him, he's talking about John. <laughs> this is interesting, right? This is from the Gospel of John, not the letter we're going to look at. This is John talking almost in third person. He does that. If you look in the book of John, when he talks about himself, he doesn't mention his own name. But we know that he was the author. And Jesus is talking, if I want him, talking about John, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. That's like super interesting, right? Don't worry yourself about what's going to happen to John. You follow Jesus. And we do. We get caught up. You get caught up. I get caught up in what Jesus is doing in someone else's life or what else is happening in someone else's life. And Jesus is like, hold on, just worry about you and your own faith. What I do in someone else's life, don't be jealous about that. Don't compare. Comparison is the thief of joy, right? Don't worry about John. He may or may not die. That's not for you to worry about. His story was going to be different to the other disciples. We see him on the island of Patmos writing the book of Revelation. What did actually happen to John? So the rumour spread among the community of believers that the, that the disciple, this disciple, he's talking about himself, right? Isn't that funny? It's weird, right? This disciple? Just say me, John. Oh, I don't want to make myself important. This disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple, John, is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know his account of these things is accurate. Good on you, John. Jesus also did many other things, and I love this verse. This is funny. They would have laughed. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus. So many things written about him. So many things said about him. 
More things are said and written about Jesus than any other person in the history of the world. He is the pinnacle of history. John the Apostle wrote the Gospel of John. Who did he write this first letter of John to? Unlike the uh, book of Ephesians, if you were here last year and you were blessed to go through that series, there was a specific group of people in a geographical location, the city of Ephesus, that the, body, that the book of Ephesians was written to, similar with Colossians and uh, Corinthians. First John is actually written almost like a sermon, like a love letter written to the church. It's not written, Second John, Third John, perhaps they are, but this book is written to the church. And it's written from a pastoral sense. He is someone that loves people and loves the church. And he wants the best for them. And this book that we're going to look into is, is almost like a, a song, a prose. And it doesn't have clearly defined um, you know, parameters and, and chapters like, like the book of Romans. You look in the book of Romans, it's like boom, 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 boom. It's all very methodical. John is like going from here to there. It's thematic. He's just, whoom. It just all comes out on the page. All his thinking and his emotion and his love for the people and his love for the church and his love for Jesus. You're picking up what type of person that he is. It does address some issues that people were involved in. One of the things that one John, uh, that John, as he writes this, is concerned about is people have gone off and there's been a schism in the church. There's been a break of the church. Some people have gone off and they're saying weird things about Jesus. And interestingly enough, the stuff they're saying weird about Jesus is because of how John wrote the Gospel of John. So we talk about, and you may have heard this term before, we talk about the synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Matthew Mark, Luke. They are written in like almost like a chronological uh, way. So Jesus is actually uh, the, the, the authors there are presenting this story of Jesus, whereas John takes an entirely different approach. And you know that we're going to see that in a minute. Why the approach he takes with his gospel is different from the others. But John presents Jesus as having come down from heaven. And he presents him from a heavenly perspective. How are we going to talk about Jesus? Well, Jesus was and is. Has always been. And it's a very different way to the way Matthew, Mark and Luke deal with him. We have the nativity stories. We don't have that in John. We have Mary and the angels and Bethlehem and, and the whole Christmas thing happening there in Matthew and in Luke. We don't have that in John. In John, where does Jesus come from? He comes from heaven. And so what we're actually seeing in the Gospel of John, it's like, the Gospel of John is like the insider's point of view. He's presenting Jesus as having come from heaven. What's he trying to do? Well, he's trying to tell us to pass on the faith and to preserve the faith. He is very concerned about the next generation, John. He's concerned about uh, the fact that we have the faith and the truth of the faith. And he wants us to pass on the faith. Thank you, Josh. And he wants us to preserve it. How do I want to illustrate this to you so you remember? This morning on the way to church, very uh, luckily, there were two people that were handing out free lemons. You know, they put them on the side of their gate and they give you free lemons. Are they the best people in the world? They are. Love lemons. You know, just as a little aside, is there anything you can't do in cooking with, with the lemon? Like, I was thinking about this this morning. This is what I do with my time. Entree, main, dessert. You can put a lemon in every single one of those dishes. 
Dessert, lemon cheesecake. Main, lemon on your fish, lemon on your chicken, lemon on your salad. Entree, who wants to give me an entree that I can use lemon for? Lemon pepper squid from my wife, that's her favourite. You can use a lemon for anything. And I want you to imagine that the faith is given to them at the beginning. John is given the faith about Jesus like a lemon. But you know what you do with lemons? One of the best things you can do? Anyone know what I'm going to say? Preserve them. Stick them in a jar. Put in whatever they do, whatever you do. Salt, peppercorns. Yeah. And you preserve them. And then you have those lemons and you can use them again and again and again. You can use them six months later and you can put them on your chicken and it's beautiful. It is still a lemon. It is still able to be used in all those beautiful ways. But you have preserved it. John is really concerned for the faith about Jesus, the story about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, the impact he's had in the world. He wants us to preserve that faith and he wants us to pass that faith on. And it's really important to him that that is done. And you know what? The church has done that. The truth and the stories about Jesus. How many books have been written about Jesus? We're still writing books about Jesus. We're still singing songs about Jesus. The next generation will hear about Jesus. And despite... Uh, what the census might say, despite what other people may say, despite the ins and outs of the church, when the church is doing amazing, when it's struggling, it will continue on. And it has continued on. And it has been preserved. And it has been passed on. John is really concerned that we pass the faith on to the next generation. And so I want to dive in. And for today, we're just looking at the first four verses of 1 John. And, you know, 1 John is one of those books that uh, sometimes you've got to look at the index to find out where it is. Because it's one of those books that's sort of hidden. Where does it fit? And uh, this is really awkward because I can't find it. Here it is right here, after 2 Peter, if you're looking. 1 John chapter 1 and the first four verses. Yeah, I'm real. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and we have seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life, the Logos. And if you're doing your deep dive this week and you get the email, there'll be an article on the Logos. And I tell you, it's a fascinating study. I encourage you to have a look at that and do your own research as well. This one who is life itself, was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that, for the purpose that, you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Here it is, Jesus Christ. Almost like the great reveal. What am I talking about? Jesus. We are writing these things. This letter is written so that you may fully share our joy. So you may fully share our joy. Joy is found in community. Joy is found in church. Joy is found in passing on the faith, passing on the truth about Jesus to the next generation. This is where joy is found. We have seen him. We have sat with him. We have gone fishing with him. We have heard his words. We have been part of his life. I have seen him up on the cross. 
is what John could say. I've heard his words. This is the truth of what he said, and this is what I want to pass on to you, because this is joy, and this is true joy. I can feel his heart coming out. James, I've got that uh, chart. That's it. I just want us to contrast for a moment or to look at the similarities between how John starts the Gospel of John and how he writes the letter of John. So John 1.1, the Gospel of John. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Then John 1.14, so the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Look at the first letter. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the Word of life. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, when he presents Jesus, he really talks about a lot of him from a point of view of being the king. And we go back to the genealogy, the ancestral line of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, and you will see it. We'll go back to David. and Matthew was really concerned to show Jesus as being the son of David. You go to Luke. Luke chapter 3. You will see where does he genealogy go? It goes all the way back to Adam. And Luke is really concerned to show us that Jesus was and is a man. He had humanity. Mark presents him as a servant. In the Gospel of John, it's really like John is opening up for us who are on the inside. He starts, before he even goes into all the different stories and the miracles and the teaching, he starts with heaven. This is the most amazing truth He's saying, Matthew and Luke and Mark even, they reveal Jesus as you go along and finally we get it. We have the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. John starts with this. He's like, here is the most amazing thing for you to know before you actually get into this book. He was in the beginning. And it makes me go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see Jesus there. And so he says Jesus from the very start because he wants us to understand that Jesus is everything and Jesus is all. But we have seen him. We have touched him. We know him. He's part of our lives. And it's the truth about Jesus that he wants to be preserved on. That's like the start of where we're going to go the next two or three months. But perhaps the question you had this morning is, what does it mean to me? And how do you help me? I was talking to someone literally this morning and I had this written down on my piece of paper as well. And the person I was talking to was talking to me about decisions they need to make in their job and in their life and in their work and the stress and the pressures and all the things that are happening in their life. So the last thing I would want to do is present this view of Jesus and this understanding of Jesus and then for you to walk away and say, what does that mean to me? How does that help me this week? It's good to come here and it's good to be worshipping together. It's good to have this moment where we breathe in and breathe out. But how is this going to help you in this week that you have ahead? John writes this letter, so that you may know joy. And I want to talk about some of the things 
that are going to rob you from joy. I've got a list up on the, up on the screen. What steals your joy? Bitterness steals your joy. I write these things so your joy may be full. Bitterness where we have got something that we are holding against someone else, where there is unforgiveness, where someone has offended us 10, 15, 20 years ago, and yet we're still harbouring that bitterness in our hearts. Bitterness will steal your joy. Unforgiveness will steal your joy. Anxiety will steal your joy. Disappointment over how some things have not worked out. If you find yourself and you're sitting in that mode of just being disappointed about everything and failing to see the good things that God is doing, that will steal your joy. Tension with other people will steal your joy. When you're in tension in relationship with someone else, you'll find it really hard to live in joy. You go to bed and you'll be thinking about these things and you'll find it hard to sleep. You'll wake up and you'll have troubled sleep because you're in tension with someone. You'll be lacking joy, anxiety and unmet expectations. All these things are things that will steal your joy. So I want us to do a little exercise as we almost finish this morning. I want us to close our eyes. Just helps us to concentrate, helps us to think about what's been happening in our lives. I went to a seminar this week and it was on anxiety. And the speakers spoke about a spinning mind. And maybe this is something you can relate to, where your mind is just spinning over all the things that are happening in your life. And you find yourself physically dizzy with the thoughts. He talked about a racing heart, where we're really anxious. We can actually feel our heart pounding. And, you know, there is true anxiety where maybe we've seen something that a car accident and we actually have a racing heart. But there can also be a racing heart, a physical symptom of things that are going on in your mind, where your heart is pounding and you're anxious. You know, there are moments of anxiety in your life where your joy is being robbed. You overhear a conversation. You receive some news you were not expecting. You're confronted. And you're concerned about all those worries. I can imagine how John and the disciples felt as they dealt with the news that Jesus told them, the anxiousness they felt. I want you just to clench both your fists right now. Just take your hands and clench your fists. Clench them really tight. Just, just humour me and just do that in this moment. Just clench your fists. And I want you to imagine the things that are causing you anxiety right now and are robbing you of your joy. What are the things that come to mind? Is it a relationship gone wrong? Is it tension at work? Is it not knowing the decision to make? Is the fact that something hasn't happened for you that you wanted to have happen? Is it fear over the unknown? What's going to happen to you next? 
just feel your hands and they're tightening. You can feel the grip that this has on you. Just bring that to God right now. Now I want you to just release your hands. And I want us to give those things to God, to understand that God is good. God has good things for you. Jesus wants you to have joy. I want you to release those anxieties and release those fears, release those things that are robbing you of joy. I just want you to give them over to God right now. And do you know this week, the most powerful tool you have if you're anxious, the most powerful tool you have if you're feeling things which are distracting you from Jesus is just to take a moment and to pause it doesn't have to be a long Bible study. It doesn't have to be a long prayer time. It can literally be 30 seconds where you just say, God is good. God has good things for me. God is watching over me. Can I encourage you this week? This is what I'd love you to do. When you find yourself feeling anxious, when you find yourself feeling alone and afraid, just imagining yourself just giving those things over to God he is good he wants you to experience joy he came so you would know joy Father God we are so grateful this morning that we can know you we're so grateful Lord that you came we're so grateful Lord that you revealed yourself from heaven I want to pray for every person this morning that really felt that as I was talking and really did experience that and really knew that in themselves. May they this week find moments of joy, moments of release, moments where they can hand these things over to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, everyone. Have a fantastic week. We will see you back next week for the next part of John. If, you don't have your e- if I don't have your email address, I'd love to have it. Love to send you the deep dive. Go well. Be blessed.